Welcome to another episode of the Equip Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Claiborne, and I'm sitting here today with Michael Allen. How are we doing, Mike? Great to be with you. It's summertime. It does feel like summer. It's it, We're both wearing shorts, which is a, a, not unusual for me. It's unusual for you. I'm in sandals. It feels good. It feels hot as can be. Yes. So just four more months of that, but... Yeah. We'll enjoy it now. We, yeah, it's, it's, it's a refreshing change for now. It's... Uh, it's almost the end of the NBA season. We, we do a little bit of NBA talk every now and then. And since we're talking about summer reading today, uh, summer viewing is also on the table. So we got game five tonight. As of this recording, by the time you all hear this, game five will have happened. So do you think, who do you think is going to be up 3-2 by the time people are listening to this? Uh, they are trading blows. I've loved the series. Can Steph Curry beat one of the best defenses mm-hmm. in the history of modern basketball. And that's been fascinating. They've just been trading games and I expect they'll keep trading games. So I think we'll go to game seven, okay. which means I expect Boston to win in golden state tonight and then golden state to win in Boston in game six. So we'll okay. see. Yeah. I have, I have a really strong feeling we're going to a seventh game. Yeah. Um, and I heard a stat earlier today, Boston's seven and O after a loss since they just lost. It's like, well, and if I understand right, Golden State has not lost two in a row in the playoffs either. Okay. So it's faded to go to seven. Yeah. I think is- the, the larger, uh, we listen to similar podcasts. I think the larger question is if, if Steph keeps up, Steph Curry keeps up his pace and they lose, can he still be finals MVP if he has one of the most impressive right. finals performances that it will, in his career so far? Right. Yeah, I... That feels weird to me in all sorts of ways, but he's had just phenomenal four games and a great playoffs. And it's absurd that people were skeptical of him to begin with at this point in his amazing career. But I think even the haters and the skeptics have got to be amazed at kind of the way he's played. Yeah. Just over the top. Yeah. It's, it's been incredible to watch. So as basketball sort of fades to the background, we turn our attention to the books that we uh, might be reading this summer. And so part of this little mini series we're doing is, is um, just kind of exploring how each of us uh, focus on different things over the summer. We all read professionally. Um, that makes it sound like we're professional readers, but we, we all read for our profession. And so we're always reading theology, biblical studies, philosophy, those types mm-hmm. of books. But sometimes summer, it's like, well, I still want to keep reading, but I'm going to kind of focus my attention over here. So what does that look like for you? Yeah. In a- well, I want to say I, I'm willing to own the professional reader title. Okay. My, my family jokes about my reading finger on my left hand where I'm going to flip pages being the, the strongest muscle in my body. Mm. Um, so we do read professionally. I think it's fair to say Wait. summer's a great time for it though. You've got more free time, a lot of folks and I'm like most, we find ourselves on vacation at points. Um, I was away at the beach last week, got to do some, some slower, more focused reading than I would in the average week. Um, and, and reading where you're in a different space, where you're away from some of the normal schedule, mm. uh, just invites you to imagine something that, that is a special task or a special focus. And that's good. We're meant to, to ebb and flow with the rhythms of seasons. And so I try and lean into that every year. And I'm reading year-round. 
Uh, I'm reading a lot every week and reading every day. I mean, it's, it's part of my job and just part of my bent and disposition. I know you're the same. Um, but nonetheless, there, there are different seasons where reading's going to take different forms. And summer is just a happy season to be able to double down on some work-related reading in mm-hmm. some significant ways. And it, for me, it's a time of writing, especially. But also to, to double down on some reading that is not directly work-related or not obviously so. Yeah. It's sort of a, sometimes they're intersectional things that it's, this is not, I don't have a class to teach on this or a writing project, but it's going to stimulate my thinking in other areas. Yeah. And it's exploratory and, uh, it's going to pay off in ways I can't yet necessarily predict. Mm. And, uh, that's some of the most exciting stuff to me. Yeah. You know, if we believe Jesus really does relate to all things and if we believe all things come from God and return to him and his glory, then exploring thoughtfully everything is a good and Christian thing to do. And we ought to try and do it with excellence and care. And that requires rigor and discipline and the help of a lot of other voices from ages past and and from others around the world today. Yeah. Well, I think I reminded of a quote, I think from one of your favorite theologians that talks about the definition of theology is you correct me if I get this wrong, but the study of God and all things in relation to God. You're right. It is about God and all things in relation to God. Yeah, that's a great line from Thomas Aquinas and often quoted by many uh, across various Christian traditions and, and many in our Reformed Presbyterian tradition. Yeah. yeah. So in some ways, all of our reading is theological, if that's the lens that we're pursuing. But for things that are not overtly theological, what, what's on your docket for this <clears throat> this summer? Yeah, so the first thing I always tackle is I read novels, I read literature throughout the year, but there are always going to be some some bigger novels that I'm going to try and tackle in the summer when I'm sitting at a beach uh, or beside a lake. And so I've, I've already been able to enjoy Amor Toll's Lincoln Highway, a great, big, wonderful book from an author whose, whose two previous books I loved. Uh, I'm looking forward to a couple other novels. Uh, another favorite, Hana y- Yanagihara, has a new book called To Paradise. It's a massive story I'm looking forward to reading. Uh, and a newly translated pair of volumes in a series titled Olaf Andesen by a, a Scandinavian favorite of mine from a century ago, Sigrid Unset. Uh, they've just begun being translated into English afresh. So I'm, I'm looking forward to reading a couple of those later in the summer. And then at the end of the summer, I always try and reread certain things. Mm. And this summer, um, I, I convene a C.S. Lewis reading group twice a year. And this summer in August, I'll be rereading Lewis's Out of the Silent Planet. Okay. The first of a trilogy of works he wrote that has to do with uh, the planet's sometimes referred to as the Space Trilogy or the Ransom Trilogy, probably better called the Planets Trilogy. But um, it's a a short little novel by Lewis that's not in the Narnia series, Mm -hmm. but really conveys a a whole range of his thoughts, his concerns, religiously, politically, culturally, in the the form of a fun story. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to rereading that. Yeah, people people sleep on Lewis's science fiction writing, which I mean, maybe science fiction is not the the best category for it. But when you're talking about interstellar mm. travel, like that's 
that's kind of what that is. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's where a lot of his political thought often becomes more apparent, mm, interestingly, right. in that trilogy. Yeah. So you got a wide range of literature, new and old. Uh, what else? What else are we reading? Yeah. Which they're leaning into double clicking on, as we say. Yeah, I always try and read something uh, in the realm of philosophy and something of a, a, a seasonal deep dive for an amateur. I'm not a philosopher. I studied philosophy, but know that it matters as a, a Christian and a theologian. So this summer, I'm doing a, a, a bit of a special study of the writings of Friedrich Nietzsche. Which nothing says summer. like Nothing does. Some, like uh, an German existentialism. Potentially authoritarian German existentialist. Yeah, so I mean, you know, reading that, I've I've read his Birth of Tragedy already, and I'm I'm really slowly going through his book on the genealogy of morality right now, which is just remarkably insightful. I think for identifying some trends that are now a century and almost a half later so prevalent the idea of resentment as a major mm. factor in our culture is so profound i'll be reading a bunch of other writings of his some i've read before most i haven't the joyful wisdom is, uh, that, is the the yeah. alternate title there you go and uh i'll i'll be reading some books about nietzsche from folks who know way more than i do so hopefully that's going to help get me up to speed with one of the two or three most significant figures for understanding the last century or two. Yeah. Um, I'm also always trying to read a couple other contemporary trends or thought. Um, this summer I've, I've already read Francis Fukuyama's, uh, short little manifesto liberalism and it's discontent. He's one of the most insightful authors I find again and again in addressing, a whole host of issues regarding politics. Um, and this one's something of a major statement about sort of uh, liberal and anti-liberal trends in our political culture. Uh, so that was a helpful read, really provocative. And I'm looking forward to starting later this week a big tome by Ian McGilchrist, who's a brain scientist. Okay. And... Uh, I, I was really prompted years ago by reading his, his well-known volume, The Master and His Emissary, where he sort of recategorized how we think about left brain and right brain thinking, where it's no longer mm. about sort of logical versus emotive thought, but it's rather thinking about, you might say, narrow angle versus wide angle thinking. And he argues that we've wrongly, in, in modern culture, been focused on the minute detail, narrow thinking. And we've missed the fact that in brain hemispheric studies, uh, whether it's MRI imaging or it's looking at people who've suffered damage to one or the other, we can observe that one hemisphere is meant to be emissary to the other, which is ma the master. And we've often operated just the opposite, sadly. Hmm. Um, He's now written a bigger, wider sort of study of, of the implications of that called the matter with things. Okay. And I haven't started page one yet, but I'm taking it home tonight and I'm looking forward um, after a, a finals game is over, being able to start <clears throat> reading that and it'll probably carry me through the next week or two. It's, it's something of a massive two volume tome. Okay. But that'll be a helpful thing to think through neurophysiology, brain science, and, and some of the ways he sees that connecting with how we relate to each other culturally and socially. 
Okay. So you're, you're kind of, it's getting into like a, maybe not interpersonal neurobiology, but something like that. I know that's a big thing that Ben talks about and we, yeah, we've talked the, about on the podcast as well of the biological bases of our, the way we relate to people really. Yeah. This would be a way of looking at, at sort of how that has gone misperceived and thus dysfunctional at okay. the largest macro level. So, um, like others, folks like Dan Siegel and the like, this is somebody trying to take um, sort of careful diagnostic science at a rigorous level, but but trying to reflect on it theoretically. Um, it's very provocative. Yeah. And interestingly, I don't know where he's at religiously, but he he certainly seems to suggest that the way we've misperceived how our brains work actually explains how we've also misperceived the relative insignificance of religion in modernity. Hmm. And if we, if we understand how the brain works right, we'd better understand why something like a religious worldview is so terribly important. Mm. Which, of course, isn't itself an argument for Christianity as the, the right or only one, or anything like that, but it, it does explain something of, of how our very makeup suggests that we're made for something greater than ourselves. We're meant to find our meaning beyond ourselves. Yeah. Uh, some of the, the notions we're exploring in this Summer in the Psalm series on desire and appetite, um, that, that finds correspondence in the actual material makeup of our very brains and beings. Mm. And it's, I bet it's, it's fascinating to read that in that context where it's someone, he's not necessarily, he's not making the case you're just making, but as he's laying things out, it's, you're drawing these connections together and seeing it from a theological vantage point. That's right. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to exploring this latest one from him. Um, and, uh, you know, like the volume by Fukuyama, those are contemporary trends from folks who are thinking much more broadly, not thinking predominantly in Christian terms, but addressing things that as a Christian, mm-hmm. whether it's political um, concern or it's social matters, um, they, they really do require care and faithfulness and, and wisdom to think about as a Christian. So yeah. hopefully I can learn from them and hopefully I can also um, probe them with questions yeah. uh, based on a biblical imagination and worldview. Well, Mike, I appreciate you sitting down and sharing a little bit of what you're reading this summer. It sounds like you got a lot of good things on your plate. Um, you got some basketball to watch. You got some books to read. You got some beaches to sit by. Um, any final final thoughts, final words about summer reading? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, just two things I'd say. One would be I, I am reading stuff just straight up for my job, reading some theology this summer. I'm studying Cyril of Alexandria and Maximus the Confessor, two okay. fifth to seventh century thinkers, and in particular reading what they wrote about scripture and interpretation of scripture. That's been helpful already. And then I'm studying uh, the notion of Christian humanism and what a range of people, whether it's Werner Jaeger a century ago or um, Hans. Uh, Jen, Jen Zimmerman, uh, writing in recent years about Christian humanism. Um, is that the incarnational humanism? Yeah, that, and yeah. a number of other books. And Jen's is a, a 
a really lively thinker inspired by a range of people, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and others, but trying to argue that Christianity really can commend a, a notion of human happiness and flourishing and goodness. And in a world where so often we appropriately need to hear about Christian screw-ups, um, abuse scandals and the like, and mm -hmm. we ought to not sort of push those aside, but we ought to take those seriously. But we also ought to, to not allow that to misshape our our lens and our understanding and miss the fact that Christianity just has a remarkably beautiful vision for human flourishing and happiness. And God's steadfast love and faithfulness is present even when at our best we still stumble and are frail and fallen. And so exploring what that is, how there mm -hmm. is a, a humanistic vision that can only be truly seen in light of God, God and all things in God, as you mentioned earlier, yeah. that line from Aquinas. Uh, that's been something I wanted to explore and study a number of writers uh, reflecting on that. So that's been good. Um, I just mentioned one thing I'm not reading. One of my sons is reading, and I'd recommend it. If folks are looking for devotional literature, there's a great resource by... Uh, local friend here who teaches at RTS, serves uh, in the Episcopal Diocese here in Central Florida. Justin Holcomb has put together a 365-day devotional guide titled God With Us. Okay. And for every day, there is an excerpt from a Christian writer through the centuries and around the globe. And uh, I stumbled upon my son reading, and he's 78 days in. And I think I learned on about day 72 that he was actually reading through this with flashlight. Um, it's fabulous. He was able to report that Augustine and John Calvin are his favorites thus far, which okay. made me one very happy dad. Train up a child. Um, but I'd, I'd recommend it. It's, it's a page a day. Okay. And they're the sort of entries that just... They beg for meditation, for slow, patient thinking. They're not mm -hmm. overwhelming. Uh, you can quickly read them before you go about your day's work or as you're slowing down at the end of the night. Um, it's the sort of thing you could read before a meal with a family or a household. Um, but God With Us by Justin Holcomb is a great devotional guide. And you could maybe tackle a portion of that in the summer season. Yeah, as a, we'll definitely sort of we'll put that in the show notes. I mean, we'll we'll link to some of these other books as well. But we'll we'll definitely link to that as a that's a great recommendation. More edifying than Nietzsche, so I would imagine. I uh, I'm confident to say that even I mean, at second hand. Yeah, yeah, some of his aphorisms are inspirational, but uh, in the main, not so much. Yeah, so highly recommended. My son gives it two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Okay. Yeah. Well, Mike, I appreciate you sitting down with me. It's always fun to chat about books and what we're reading, what we're into, and I'll look forward to next time. Thanks. Great deal.